Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. I hope you guys are having a phenomenal day. I tell you what, this may be today one of the most controversial trainings that I've done. It is totally, I think, it's probably totally out of the norm of what's expected. But in the Little Red Book of Wisdom by Mark DeMoss, He's got a chapter that's titled, Here's to Not Drinking at All, Do Wisdom and Alcohol Mix? Now, this has become a pretty hot topic just because of some of the other stuff that we've learned throughout Mark's book. And remember, this is a book on wisdom. It's not a book on moral uh, turpitude. It's not a book on religious do's and don'ts or, or denominational, you know, I will or I won't, nothing like that. This is just thought-provoking radio. And when Mark put this, this chapter in here, he did it for a specific purpose, and usually I don't turn to the, to the end of the book. But in this case, I want to turn to the end of the book to give you a reference point. Actually, it's the end of the chapter. Mark writes, as I was still kicking around the idea of this book, one morning when I was with my three children, I asked what kind of decisions should go into a book about life wisdom. My then 14-year-old son, Mookie, said, I can tell you one thing right now. I think it's wise that you never had anything to drink. Until then, I hadn't planned a chapter on this subject, but the speed of Mookie's reply struck me. How was it that an 8th grader already saw wisdom in not drinking. When I when I read that, I thought, you know, I'm not going to skip this. We're going to put this in because I think it's powerful. Lady Astor wrote this, One of the reasons I don't drink is I want to know when I'm having a good time. When I was growing up, one of the biggest T-shirts that everybody wore was Party Till You Puke. I don't know how many girls, hot-looking, sweet teen girls, because I was a teen, had party till you puke. And I went to a few of those parties. And they were not little girls I wanted to kiss after I watched them puke. I had a good friend of mine. We grew up in church together. Dated her for a little bit. Dynamic little gal. She became a track star, went to a party one night. Got drunk. Was never the same as a variety of young men had sex with her, and she couldn't remember ever what was going on. It was the craziest thing. And you may say, yeah, but Troy, I'm an adult now, so you know we've put away childish things. Does that really matter? I don't know. We're going to get into that. I was never a heavy drinker, but I drank throughout my, my teen years. When I became an adult... And got in the Marine Corps, the laws were still where we could go to Kansas when we were younger, under eight, under 21. We could drink beer, play pool. I figured if I was old enough to kill for my country, I was old enough to drink. We drank on the bases in California and on the East Coast. So it's not that I, unlike Mark, have never had a drink. I also remember when I became a bounty hunter and started running my bail bond business, that I would go through about a fifth of tequila a day. Put on a lot of weight that way, but definitely, I, to this day, I, I just have an acquired taste for tequila. 
The dilemma is I also have learned some valuable lessons. My family are alcoholics on my mom's side. I remember times when my dad would come home drunk. So as I looked through this chapter, I started analyzing where do I stand today on this. Now I can tell you that based on the spiritual side of things, let alone the physical side of things, a couple of things come to play. Number one, I'm what they call an abstainer. I don't believe drinking is wrong. I don't believe it's a sin. Uh, I believe getting drunk is is probably, a, well, it is a sin based on biblical teachings, but I think getting drunk will definitely cause you some issues. But we're one that, matter of fact, our church has been known as the drinking church because our, our pastor will have a drink. So it's not that, that I'm against drinking. But the other reason that Paige and I have decided not to drink is the same reason that Mark decided not to drink, or, or actually it wasn't Mark, but a friend of Mark's. And that's because if I'm telling my kids not to do something and I'm doing it, then I believe that's kind of hypocritical. It's not about, well, I'm old enough to do it. I don't believe age really plays into it, to be honest. I think, you know, if you're drinking or you're smoking, then you're drinking or you're smoking. But it's because I grew up studying history and know how young people were in the old days and and how they've become a little bit lackadaisical today. But I want to get into this chapter because I want to tie it into business. See, a lot of people don't understand if you're out having lunch or you're out having dinner and you're drinking and then you bring out a contract and somebody signs it, you know they can break that contract because they can say they were under the influence. See, that really is important about does wisdom and alcohol mix. Mark starts the chapter off this way. He says, John had his first beer when he was eight. Actually, I had my first beer when I was five. My dad and mom had a party. They were putting their beer down. My mom was. My dad would put his beer down beside the fireplace. Actually, I guess I wasn't five. I was probably four. Because if I'm not mistaken, my Uncle Mel was still alive, and he was at this party at the house. They would put their beers down, and me and another buddy of mine would come by, and we'd, we'd chug it. We'd get, a, we'd get a sip. Acquired the taste of beer. So I understand where, where John's at in this. So John had his first beer at eight. He wasn't much older when he acquired a taste. He acquired a taste for his parents' homemade wine. And then he moved to Jack Daniel's. Also, his dad's drink of choice. He first tried the famous Tennessee whiskey when he was 14 at his sister's wedding. Now, Jack Daniels was another favorite. Actually, you know, I'm, I, whether it's Tennessee or Kentucky bourbon, it's American-made. I was into it big time, no problem. A single malt scotch I still enjoy if I was a drinking it. I'm telling you, I know what, what I would enjoy and what I wouldn't if I was drinking. This is why this is important. When John grew up, he was known as John Daly, one of the most exciting professional golfers in the last 20 years. An artist whose muscular flow swing rocketed balls down the fairway and out of sight. His galleries rivaled Tiger Woods. He electrified crowds. Long John Daly was a cult hero to the common man. But what happened? But little, but a little about John Daly. In 1991, at the age of 24, he won the PGA Championship, one of golf's four majors. 
pundit said he couldn't do it because the majors reward control over power and distance. But four short years later, he seized his second major at the storied British Open. John Daly was on top of the golf war world, and he deserved to be there. This was 1991. Just a few short years later, at the PGA's 2000 season, a fan looking for John Daly would have had to run down the golf's ranking to number 507. He'd gone from number one to 507. Off the course, John had sunk three marriages. His fourth wife was indicted in a Mississippi federal court on drugs and illegal gambling charges. His gambling losses totaled between 40 and 50 million. Imagine not even knowing which one it was. According to Daly's 2006 biography, My Life In and Out of the Rough, told of his destructive course. He'd lost a blue chip list of corporate sponsors and made at least two extended trips into alcohol rehab. Now you may be saying, but Troy, that's not me. I have self control. I only drink in public. I only fall down in private, but I drink in public. It's interesting. Now listen, bear with me. Just a few years later, oh, excuse me, after one of John's attempts to sober up and bypass the casino tables, Golf World magazine asked Daly if he intended now to avoid, to avoid the kind of situations that littered a man's trail with divorce, debt, and destroyed hotel rooms. Now, this is what I appreciate about John Daly. Honestly, he said, probably not. I want to gamble. I want to have a few drinks now and then. Basically, trying to stay sober has taken over my life, and it was miserable. It's like I've said before, there's no way I'd never drink again. You may be saying, Troy, why do you admire him? Because he was honest. See, what pisses me off to no end is people that are fake. People that say, I'm never going to drink again. And they drink in private. My One of my best friends, one of my mentors, is a man named Tom Chenault. And for 20 years, he's not had a lick of alcohol. Tommy was lost, lost his wife. He, he was losing his businesses. He was losing everything in his life because he was an alcoholic. Every day he goes to Alcoholics Anonymous to help other people. I've watched him be stolen from, lied to, cheated to, because he helps homeless guys that are drunks. Brings them into his house just to have them steal from him sometimes. But he knows what it was like. He also knows that a lot of those homeless guys at one time were on top of the world. Tommy doesn't mix alcohol and business at all. He doesn't mix alcohol in his life at all anymore. He's overcome that problem. But he knows that he could still fall off if he just had one drink. Today he owns a successful network marketing business. He owns a successful radio business. getting ready to try to buy the Rocky Mountain Radio Network. He owns real estate investments. Just sold a coffee company. But he had to bring himself back up from the very, very bottom. I've got friends and family that drink so much they black out and don't know what's going on. I've seen the devastations of both sides. I made a conscious decision 
at a very young age when I decided to change my life, that I'd cut out the drinking, running around at the strip clubs, all the stuff that's fun, and I'd focus on doing something to leave a legacy. I told you yesterday I have friends of mine that I very, oh, man, I respect. But I watch them get themselves in predicaments, and I wonder what happens if they drink too much sometime, and that lady that they took back to their hotel room to talk about business becomes a little pleasure. See, it's funny that when we drink, we let our inhibitions down. And when our inhibitions are down, we end up doing things that if our mind was clear, we would not have done because we know what the consequences are, the law of diminishing returns. Now, I'm not talking today to, to, to make it sound like a sermon. I'm not judging anybody. I told you, it's not about some religious morality deal. I know people that don't drink in the United States, but when they go to Israel, they'll have a drink. Different. Everybody's got to make their own way. I don't have a problem with that. Paige and I probably have more friends that drink than don't. But the question that you've got to ask yourself is, when should I drink? You may want to ask yourself, should I even drink? But but, but what you don't want to do is mix it with business. I was an equity partner in a mattress manufacturing company back in the late 80s, early 90s. I guess it was the early 90s. It's called the Chickasha Mattress Company. Liggett and Platt is a very large distributor of box springs and and the stuff that you need, the frames for the mattresses. When I got together with one of their top sales reps to cut a deal, and we were buying, I mean, tens of thousands of dollars from them in springs, we met at a place called La Rouge in Oklahoma City, which is what they call today a gentleman's club. It was a high-end strip joint. They did have good food. After that, he arranged for a private lingerie showing by a, a series of ladies in which we could decide if we wanted to buy the lingerie, take home to our spouses, or whether or not we just wanted to spend the evening with the girls. This was a business transaction worth tens of thousands of dollars. My business partner, who is the equity partner, the the majority equity partner, had been drinking all night long and enjoying himself and told the guy, we'll link the deal based on your terms. I later changed the terms of the contract. They were not beneficial to us. But he wrote this all off on a corporate credit card. It is not wise to mix business and pleasure. See, it's interesting how many deals are done over a martini, scotch on the rocks, Jack Daniels, a beer, bottle of wine or two. Do you ever think that there's a reason when you walk into a casino and you sit down at a table that a young lady... And I've never seen a man, it's always a young lady, comes tiptoeing up to you to say, Sir, would you like something to drink? And she always has the tray right there where her boobs are. Low cut, big smile, 
if they can get enough alcohol in you, your inhibitions will be down. You'll spend more money. See how this works? This is why you've got to be cautious. Now, you may say, well, Troy, I still am going to drink, and that's cool. Because I don't want to preach to you about not drinking, but what I do want to do is I want to give you some facts to think about. Because at the end of the day, this is what you've got to look at, whether it's from your family standpoint or your business standpoint. You've got to draw a line and decide where do you want to be seen as. And if you call yourself a leader, whether you believe in the Bible or not, leaders are held to a higher standard of accountability than normal, everyday people. The reason being is because you have the responsibility of many who will become your constituents who will follow you. I want you to write these down. I think it's important. Number one, there's 14 million people in the U.S. who are addicted to alcohol or abuse it. How would you like your daughter to go to a party and start drinking, either passes out or her inhibitions are down, and she becomes the benefit of some train of guys that decide to use her sexually? Well, Troy, I didn't. I didn't, you know, I didn't tell her to drink. I told her not to drink. Yeah, but you drink. There's a new commercial on TV talking about the the fact that a mom enables her daughter and they're partying. And she says, well, it's okay. My daughter's at my house, and I'm, I'm letting her do everything at my house. And it shows them getting on grass and smoking and all that stuff. Some 14 million people. Now, you may say, well, Troy, yeah, but that's, you know, you can't even drink until you're 21. Listen to this. 6.6 million American children under the age of 18 live in homes with at least one alcoholic parent. Alcohol is the third leading cause of preventable deaths in the United States. Yeah, but Troy, no, don't Troy nothing. It's spring break. I go to this. I go to Pensacola Beach. I mean Panama City Beach every year just to see if it changes, and it doesn't. Listen to this. 35% of all wine coolers sold in the United States are consumed by junior and senior high school students. See, you're at home and your eyes are closed. I see what your teenagers do, boys and girls. I see how stupid they get. I've seen guys running around with their pants pulled down. I've seen girls with their tops pulled up. I'm not talking about in their hotel rooms. I'm talking about going down the main street in Pensacola, I mean Panama City. Troy, it's a coming of age, it might be, or they could be one of the many stories I read every year of a young college student who fell over a balcony and was killed. Every two minutes in the United States, a person is injured in an alcohol-related accident. Approximately 53% of adults in this country report that one or more of their close relatives has a drinking problem. I mentioned my Uncle Mel early in this show. He was my daddy's best friend. I got to spend very little time with him as a child. But the impact that he made on my life has been priceless. He was with his girlfriend the day he died. They'd been having fun and partying. They were going around a curve when she turned the keys off in his car. Back then we didn't have power steering. He couldn't make the turn. The car flipped and he was killed. You need to be cautious about mixing alcohol with anything. We talk about texting in the cars. 
You tell your kids not to text, but how many times have you left a club when you were drinking? Approximately 53% of adults in this country report that one or more of their close relatives have a drinking problem. Between 240 and 360 current college students in America will eventually die of an alcoholic-related disease. This is sad. Now I want to bring it into even more of a perspective for you. In the past five years, our nation has suffered only two major commercial airline crashes and fatalities. In 2006, a Comair flight crashed during takeoff in Lexington, Kentucky. There was one lone survivor among the 50 on board. In 2009, a Colligan Air Flight 3407 took off from Newark, New Jersey, bound for Buffalo, crashed into a house, killing all 49 passengers. A tragic loss of life by any standard. Now I want you to imagine this. Imagine two commercial airplanes crashing every week in this country. That would be 104 crashes each year. Then suppose instead of carrying 50 passengers on each plane, they carried 163 men, women, and children, and not one crash had a single survivor. According to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, that's how many alcoholic-related traffic fatalities we've suffered in the United States each of the past three years. That's 17,000 per year. Another 68,000 per year will die from alcohol-related diseases. Do you realize that in the 10 years we fought in Vietnam, we only lost 53,000 men? In the wars that we just suffered in Afghanistan and Iraq, we didn't even lose this many. And yet every year we lose between 17,000 in fatalities, another 68,000 in alcohol-related deaths, and we don't think it's a major problem. Mark writes, if indeed two airlines were to crash into a ball of fire every week, our sharpest and wisest minds would be proposing adjustments to address the problem. Yet our collective wisdom seems impotent to the obvious alcohol situations that just wreck havoc on our society every day. It's interesting. Did you ever wonder why people go to clubs to dance? They go there and they order drinks first. It lets their inhibitions down. Then they feel okay to do whatever it is they do. Maybe you've seen the commercials from the alcohol companies that say drink responsibly, which I appreciate them saying stuff like that. But there's a problem with that. Recently on a national television show, a doctor said it's impossible to act responsibly once you're under the influence of alcohol, probably the influence of anything. Here's one for you. Maybe if I can't get you on that to think, all I want you to do is think. Maybe this one will, especially for you politicians. Alcohol abuse costs the United States an estimated $185 billion a year, according to the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. In 2011, we spend $13 billion less on the Department of Transportation, Education, and Homeland Security combined. One problem in the United States costs us more than running the Department of Transportation, Homeland Security, and Education. We wonder why our kids have educational problems. See, given genetic predisposition, taking the first drink is like gambling. 
I don't play video games because I know I could become addicted to it. I don't gamble because I know I could come be- become addicted to it. I don't drink because I knew I was becoming addicted to it. It's interesting. Just last year, a British scientist released a study that showed the harm of alcohol was worse than drugs. The exact drugs? Heroin and crack cocaine. The trail of damage, heartache, crime, disease, and death, courtesy of alcohol, runs across the country from coast to coast, border to border. Sad thing is it could be prevented if we'd use a little wisdom. Mark writes in here about an old Chinese proverb, or actually a Japanese proverb. He says, first the man takes a drink, then the drink takes a drink, then the drink takes another drink, then the drink takes the man. See, guys, we just got to use wisdom. If you want a drink, drink. But you better use wisdom prior to the drink. It's the only way to do it. Mark was visiting another friend in Atlanta. They just came in off the golf course. They're in one of the most exclusive country clubs in America. As the man ran upstairs to change his clothes, he invited Mark to look around and said, Help yourself. Mark grabbed himself a diet coat, fully expecting to see a well-starked bar, but only finding soft drinks, bottled water, juice, and milk. When his buddy came down, they got in the car and headed for the meeting. Mark looked over and said, let me ask you a question. Do you drink? He smiled and said, no, and I'll tell you why. I don't see how I can ask my kids not to do something if I'm doing it. I can relate to that one. See, here's another statistic as we close the hour. Mark writes, it just seems like the better part of wisdom given that, Mark said, it just seems like that's the better part of wisdom given that three-fourths of children ages 8 to 17 cite their parents as the primary influence in their decision about whether to drink or not to drink. I'll tell you right now, all three of my boys drink, my oldest boys. JT had a really bad bout with alcohol, couldn't hold it, blew through his, his money, lost his girlfriend, Josh, I'm not quite sure. I've seen several pictures of him. Dalton learned early on that he didn't like the effects of alcohol, so he doesn't drink near like the others do. I personally believe that Denzel Washington might have it right. As the first African-American to receive two Academy Awards, here's what he said. I made a commitment to completely cut out drinking and anything that might hamper me from getting my mind and body together. And the floodgates of goodness has opened up upon me spiritually and financially. That's amazing. In 1986, a very famous Texan decided to quit drinking after having an embarrassing conversation at a dinner party. You can read all about that in the book called Decision Points by former President George Bush. And in it, he wrote, had I not stopped drinking, I sure wouldn't be writing my memoirs as the governor of Texas and the president of the United States. See, I think one of the wisest things anybody could do is probably not to take a drink, and I can say that because I've been drinking for a long time. See, wisdom is not to have a drink at all, but if you are going to drink, 
then make sure you're not mixing that drink with business. The influence that you have with people is based on the wisdom that you show. See, I believe that even though my boys decided to drink, I'm still an influence in their lives because they see that I don't drink and I'm their rock and that's why they keep coming back to me. And God knows I hope that they get their act together before I die because I think that would harm them maybe more than it would their mother. It's interesting. Give this some thought today. I know I stepped on some people's toes. That's all right. You'll get over it. If it means that you think the next time you have a drink and you're conducting business, then I've done my job. Tomorrow, anticipate deathbed regrets. Take steps now to avoid regrets later in life. Everyone should be on tomorrow's show. It's going to be powerful. Live life like it's an epic adventure. I'll see you at the top. And be back here tomorrow morning on RealMentorsRadio.com.